While this is an Easter message, um, you can be turning in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. So um, the other day, I was uh, looking through the notes app on my Bible, uh, on my uh, phone. I don't know if you use it or not, but um, from time to time, I'll go to my notes and I'll, I'll just write something down. And uh, then a lot of times when I go back, those notes make absolutely no sense at all. Uh, but one little note, it had four lines on it, and it was dated um, two years ago. And it inspired the message today that I've, uh, I've titled, Every Stone Tells a Story. Every Stone Tells a Story. Ladies, uh, think about it. If, if you're married, um, you probably have a stone on your left ring finger, or maybe it's at home that your husband gave you. And uh, it tells us, uh, maybe it's a hallmark story, I don't know. Maybe it's a story that you would prefer to forget. But either way, every stone tells a story. If you've ever had a stone lodge in your kidney or your gallbladder, you know that that stone story is one of pain that you hope to never hear again, never go through again. But either way, every stone tells a story. And if you've, uh, we, we've all been in this situation, you're driving down the road, all of a sudden you hear a, a big pop, and it's not long, you begin to see a crack in your windshield, and while it may just tell of a, a story of driving to work, it might also tell of a, an, a, an epic family road trip, either way, that story is going to cost you at least $300, but every stone tells a story. And so it is in the Word of God. If you do a, a word search on stone or rock, you'll find that it is found in, in Scripture over 450 times. Uh, they've been used as a pillow. Um, they have been used for decoration and priestly garments and kingly crowns. They've been fashioned into idols and worshipped. They've even cried out in worship. But every stone tells a story. And the first stone story that we're going to look at today is the stone tablets in Exodus 24. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the book of Exodus. It's the record of God's people enslaved to Egypt, crying out to God, and God hearing their cry and sending Moses to deliver them. Some incredible acts of God are recorded in this book. They tell us the great lengths that God will go to to fight for his people and through Moses and Aaron, God performed miraculous signs and wonders and plagues and ultimately freed his people and destroyed their enemies. After they crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness, God provided everything they needed. Bread from heaven, water from a rock of all places, victory over more and more enemies. In chapter 20, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments at the top of Mount Sinai. And it is God's top list. What was required to live holy lives? What was required to be right with God and to be right with each other? And chapter 24 tells of Moses receiving these instructions from God. Look at verse 12. And then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there and I will give you the tablets of, what is it? Stone and the law and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So there you have it, right there, stone tablets. Later in Exodus 34, 
we see that they were written on by the very finger of God. So if every stone tells a story, what story do these stones tell? Well, the next blank on your outline. They tell us that God is very serious about holiness. God is serious about holiness. They tell us that he is so far above and and beyond us, so far more pure and holy and wise than we are. But not only that, in the pages that follow in Exodus and beyond, we begin to see a story unfold of a people who have clear direction from God, a people who have clearly seen God work on their behalf, A people that God has clearly laid out the requirements for fall completely short. That's the next blank on your your outline. God is serious about holiness and people fall short of the mark God has set. See, on those stone tablets, God wrote, You shall have no other gods before me. And yet we see a people who made idols and worshipped them. On those stone tablets, God wrote, you shall not murder. And yet we see Israel has a long list of evil, idolatrous, murderous leaders who led their people to be the same way. On those stone tablets, God said not to covet what others have. And yet we see throughout the pages of the Old Testament a people overcome by greed, willing to do whatever it took to get what they want. And so the the first stone that we look at today are the stone tablets. And the story of these stones, written on by the very finger of God, is of a people who fall well short of a most holy and wise God. A people who fall short of what God has required to be made right with Him. So we start off with some bad news. We'll come back to that in a moment. Go ahead and remind your neighbor, every stone tells a story. Go ahead and tell them. But here's the deal, not every stone tells the same story. And so that leads us to number two, the memorial stones. Memorial stones. See, not long after God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, they found themselves at the edge of the promised land. And so as the story goes, they sent out spies Uh, to scout out the land to find the best way in. And if you know anything about the story, you know that 10 of the 12 spies came back with a bad report, instilling fear in the hearts of all of Israel. And even though this was the land that God had promised them with, because of their doubt and lack of trust in who God was, who had so powerfully demonstrated himself before, they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until every one of the doubting generation died except Caleb and Joshua. God chose Joshua to lead the next generation over the Jordan into the promised land 40 years later. Now, if you're not familiar with these, these first few chapters of Joshua, I want to I encourage you to read them this week. Because God has used them in my life personally, and they're just full of of rich truth and rich promises. As they prepared to cross over over the Jordan 40 years later, God's instructions were to, for the priests, 
to follow the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, it represented God's presence. It actually contained those stone tablets that we just looked at. And when, when the feet of the priests that were holding the Ark of the Covenant touched the water, the water would stop and they would be able to cross on dry ground in the middle of flood stage. And sure enough, Joshua 3.15 says, As those who bore the ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped the edge of the water, dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in one heap very far away. And verse 17 says, Until the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. And so, God showed his power once again. It was not the first time. It would not be the last. A multitude of people needing to get across a river in flood stage without a bridge. God looks at and says, no problem. Consider this for a minute. Experiencing the provisions of God was the only thing these people knew. Experiencing the the provisions of God was the only thing these people knew. They grew up wandering in the wilderness. They grew up eating bread from heaven, quail from the middle of nowhere. Every day they had seen the pillar of cloud and, and fire lead them every step of the way. All of their lives they had experienced the power and provisions of God. Notice the next chapter. Verse 1. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourself twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve, what's the next word? Stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them at the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Verse 4, Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed, and the children of Israel, from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial for the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded. Now church, that is something that only God could do. And actually that is the story that these stones tell. Every stone tells a story, but these stones tell the story that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. Our God is the God of impossible. The word for Lord there that we see in those verses is Jehovah, the self-existing one. He doesn't need anyone or anything for anything. And church, we still serve the same God. And when we, his people, saved by the sacrifice of his son, 
follow the direction for our lives and we come up against obstacles that are impossible in our humanity, these 12 memorial stones remind us that nothing is impossible for God. And as I worked on this message, I just sensed God saying to me, you know, all I have ever known is God providing. Think about your own life. When when have we ever not known God to come through and provide for us? Never. So, what are we worrying about so much? Why do we worry? God is the God of impossible. And he will always come through. The memorial stones in Joshua, they not only commemorate God overcoming the impossible here at the Jordan, they're also a a reminder of all that God had done for his people throughout the years. See, God is not just one and done. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And even though you come up against situations in your own life that seem bigger than the Jordan in flood stage, God is still the same God of the impossible. And whatever it is, God looks at it and says, no problem. I can take care of that. And that's just one of the reasons why he is worthy of us living our lives in worship to him. Pick it up in verse 21. Then Joshua spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you, Until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us, until we had crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. These memorial stones out of the middle of the Jordan, they remind us of 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, because he cares for you. Every stone tells a story. The stone tablets of the Ten Commandments tell of a most holy God and a people who fall short. The memorial stones in Joshua tell us that God is the God of the impossible, and he will provide, and we can rest in that truth. That leads to number three. You can turn over to 1 Samuel 17 as we look at smooth stones. Smooth stones. This is a story that most of us will probably be familiar with. It's the story of a battlefield. On one side are the children of Israel, On the other side are the Philistines. But this was no ordinary battle that we might picture these two massive armies coming together on the front lines. This was substitutionary warfare. Where each army sent out one man to fight to the death. Winner takes all. Now this particular battle was quite one-sided because the Philistines had a nine and a half foot giant named Goliath as their one. And Israel couldn't muster up anyone that was willing to fight him. 
All of their warriors, even their king, they shrunk back and feared. Until a shepherd boy named David, as he brought supplies to his brothers, he heard this Philistine rebuking God's people, and he went and told the king, hey, listen, I'll fight him. As a shepherd, I fought a bear and a lion, and God helped me win there, and this Philistine, this giant, will be no different. So reluctantly, the king consented, and the battle was on. Notice um, one word in verse 40, 1 Samuel 17. Then David took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth, what's the word? Stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now, Scholars tell us that Goliath's armor probably weighed more than David did when he was soaking wet. The tip of his spear, just the tip of his spear was 15 to 20 pounds. And so as if David isn't crazy enough for volunteering to fight him, now David goes and chooses five smooth stones as his weapon of choice. Well, every stone tells a story. So what story do these stones tell? Well, the answer is found in verse 46. We're going to start in verse 41 as we read. And so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. And so the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Verse 46. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Somebody say, preach it, David. Right? See, every stone tells a story. These five smooth stones, they tell a story of courage and faith That God fights our battles. The next blank on your outline. God fights battles for his people. It doesn't matter how big. It doesn't matter how ugly. It doesn't matter how outmatched, how one-sided, whatever battle you face today is. God still fights battles for his people. The Jordan River at flood stage, no problem. A huge, pagan, blasphemous giant. Yeah, God can take care of that too. And I can't help but think that there's somebody among us here today that just needs to hear verse 47. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Maybe it's time that you let him fight it for you. Yes, we have to be willing to stand up and choose our stones. 
But ultimately, the battle is the Lord's. Notice the name of, of, of God there in verse 46, the Lord of hosts. It means he is the God of the armies of angels in heaven, multitudes of heavenly hosts, warriors that fight on God's command and ultimately fight on our behalf. And so whatever it is that you're facing today, the five smooth stones in 1 Samuel 17, they tell a story that there is nothing in your life that is too big for the Lord of hosts to overcome. Verse 48, and so it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to, to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put in his hand, his hand in his bag, and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. Verse 51. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. See, church, every stone tells a story. Some, like the stone tablets, they tell of a holy God and a people who fall short. Others, like the memorial stones in Joshua, tell us that there is nothing impossible for our God. He will provide, and we can trust that. Still others, like the five smooth stones in David's shepherd pouch. They tell us that God still fights battles for his people. And that brings us to the story of Easter. Because what is true of these three stone stories that we've already looked at here today is also true of the last. Turn over to Mark 16. Number four on your outline. The stone rolled away. The stone rolled away. We start this story with the Pharisees, the religious leaders who had everything together on the outside. They were the standard for holiness, but on the inside, their hearts were as dark as they could be. And they hated Jesus because he exposed their darkness. And they came up with a plan to kill him. One of his own followers, Judas, would betray him at the opportune time, and that opportune time came on a Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Betrayed with a kiss. Jesus was arrested, put on trial, wrongfully accused, beaten, flogged, mocked, humiliated, and ultimately crucified. The King of Kings, forsaken by God, Nailed to a tree that he created. His followers hoped he was the Messiah. His miracles and teachings caused them to believe that maybe he was. But they just watched him die. The cruelest way possible. Now all hope seemed lost. Their Lord was dead. And we really cannot imagine the despair, the devastation in their hearts. But even so, his followers ask for his body to give him a proper burial. Mark 15, 46 says, Joseph of Arimathea laid him in the tomb, which, he had been, which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a, what's the word? A stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was. Verse 16. Now, 
when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb where the sun had, when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. And so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. If you continue to read, you'll see that Jesus appeared to many people, including his disciples, whom he commissioned to go and tell the world about what they had seen. Go and tell the world about him. And so every stone tells a story. What story is told by the stone rolled away? It's the story of the gospel. See, just like the stone tablets tell, God is holy. God cares about holiness. He is far above, holier and purer and wiser than everyone and everything. He has showed what is required to be made right with Him. We just have to keep the law forever. We have to be perfect like Him in order to be made right with Him. But the same story is told of a people as was told in the Old Testament. We fall short of the standard that He has set. See, the fact is, the biggest obstacle, the biggest battle that each one of of us ever face, more than the Jordan River at flood stage, more than a a nine-and-a-half-foot pagan blasphemous giant, the obstacle of sin is one that would defeat us and separate us from Him for all eternity. But just like the story of the twelve memorial stones, and just like the story of the five smooth stones, God stepped in to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He sent His only Son, Jesus, to be the sacrifice our sins required. To go to the cross to pay the debt that I owe, to pay the debt that you owe. And the stone rolled away tells the story that Jesus defeated death. He is no longer in the grave. He is risen and He is awaiting the day when He returns to get us his own people, and usher in eternity. Stone rolled away tells a story of hope. The stone rolled away tells a story of victory. And the last blank on your outline, the stone rolled away tells a story of redemption. See, every stone tells a story. The question becomes, is this stone a part of your story? We just bow our heads and close our eyes and go into a time of invitation. If you find yourself here today at rock bottom, between a rock and a hard place, so to speak, hear the story 
of the stone rolled away. Surrender to him today. What message has God spoken to your heart this morning? What obstacle are you facing? Kind of like the Jordan River at flood stage. What is it for you? What giant are you facing? What, what, in what place do you need God to provide for you? Or do you just need to let him fight your battles? If you don't know him, man, why not Easter Sunday morning, 2022, be the day of salvation for you?